everyone welcome to another episode of cranked and ranked i'm steven with me as always is mr eddie sparks hello sir yo 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 and uh today uh we uh we have another uh multiple parter for you and um we we've we're now coming off of doing uh you know some old school classic metal with the judas priest and then some old school thrash with forbidden and now we're going to move it back into the 90s and we're going to uh we're going to get a little bit grungy um well a lot grungy a little i bit guess of grunge. <laughs> uh, uh. we are going to be tackling the discography of a band that i think is both one of our favorite bands is that am i correct there yeah uh, we're definitely be, top five. Yeah, uh, I don't know if mine's t- it's in top five for me, but it's it's definitely up there. But we are uh, going to be covering the discography of Alice in Chains, arguably the best grunge band. I I, I mean, a lot of people would agree. Um, I guess some might not because I guess they're they're not as iconically grunge. Like like you know, I think when you think of grunge, my brain immediately goes to Eddie Vedder in a flannel shirt. But um, <laughs> But grunge, you know, on the the heavier side of like the actual sonics of it, I think Alice in Chains is pretty much the epitome of grunge. I feel like uh, grunge is kind of like it's like a kind of a spectrum. You've got the bands that fall onto the more metal side, you know, your Soundgardens, your Alice in Chains on the metal end, and then you've got the more punky stuff with you know your Nirvanas and Mud Honey on the other end with kind of Pearl Jam straddling a classic rock kind of thing in the middle. That's yeah. That's what I always thought was interesting is that the, I, I always thought and still do you listen to, especially that first Pearl Jam album. And I'm like, this isn't, this is more like a stadium rock band that just has kind of a rougher edge to it. It's weird, um, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, we're not talking about them. I'm sure one day we will get to Pearl Jam, but today uh, we're talking about Alice in Chains. So um, we've decided to split this up into two episodes uh, where, you know, we're going to be covering their studio albums, their EPs, and we're also, we've decided to include the Unplugged album in our ranking. So because of that, that's nine total, and we decided that uh, we need to give uh, this band and these albums the time they deserve um, and so uh, this episode will be the ranking of our number nine down to our number five. And um, let's 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 not even fuck around today. Um, what do you got, sir, for your number nine Alice in Chains album? Cool. So uh, much like many bands we've covered here so far, but, uh, you know, I just got to say it. Alice in Chains especially, I believe, never put out a bad record. I agree. Like, never, never put out anything that I can confidently say isn't at least good. But for the sake of the killer to filler ratio on this record, Mm -hmm. at number nine, I've had to put The Devil Put Dinosaurs here. Okay. That's the, the second album with William Duvall on vocals. And it's the first Alice in Chains record that I remember coming out because I became a rock and metal fan in 2010 through uh, 
Guitar Hero and Grand Theft Auto. Mm -hmm. And that essentially, I, I got into grunge, especially through GTA San Andreas. And the song Them Bones is in the soundtrack. And about a year after I started really listening to grunge, Alice in Chains puts out a new album. And I think, oh, sweet. You know, this awesome grunge band that really tapped into the metal thing as well is putting out a new record. And I was fucking hyped. And, you know, the singles that they put out to me were extremely promising. So, mm -hmm. like, right off the bat, you've got Hollow, which is this killer opening track. It's heavy, doomy, perfect modern Alice in Chains song to me with that riff and the spooky harmonies and the key changes in it as well that really make it feel intense. And, like, that's a great way to open quite a sludgy record. Yeah, and it, then, it is. It is a very sort of not somber, but real dark opening to the album. Yeah, like it's it's heavy, but it's also not. It doesn't have like a a you know the uh, a, a first song quality to it really, but it is an interesting opener for the album. That's the thing. It just immediately comes in with that gnarly feedback. That like. Whee! and there's a real sinister edge to the to the song and something that really makes alice in chains stand out to me is just the absolute stellar quality of riffs that just fall out of the fingers of um jerry cantrell because <laughs> yeah. The dude, the dude could shit and look down and oh, that's there's five songs right there. Like you know, he could just he it just flows out of him. The these riffs, he could just he could come up with like eighteen amazing riffs in a day. Yeah, he he also well, is good at coming up with things that are, if I'm using the term correctly, deceptively simple. Like they sound simple but they're really not like if you really start listening to what's being played it's it may be note wise not very busy but he, he adds all sorts of little things just you know yeah uh, and and i'm not technically smart enough to know what those things are but i hear them in the in the the different kinds of chords he uses and little bendy things which always make me happy but yeah. um, but it's it's just one of those things where he's he's not he's not only good at writing riffs, but he's good at at putting his own stamp, I think, on something yeah. that played by somebody else may seem kind of boring, but not not from them. It's almost like he kind of he kind of took and I think even to this day, he took the kind of 80s metal riff style and blended it with the alternative thing and came up with just these really straight ahead rock pleaser riffs yeah. that have a darker, more experimental vibe to them, even if you don't notice it. Yeah. Um, track two, you get Pretty Done, mm -hmm. which is what I consider to be the sandwich song. Uh, it's pretty good, but it's surrounded by two excellent tracks. Mm -hmm. Uh, the best of which on this album, I believe, is Stone. Stone. Speaking when of it, bendy riffs. Yeah, Stone, when it came out, I still think this is the best riff of 2013. 
Cause just the that's that's the kind of riff that I've tried to write my whole life, and occasionally yeah. I write pretty good bendy riffs, but never it never hits me the way that riffs like that do. There's just something about the way they play it that's just so loose but tight at the same time. Yeah. Like it feels like it should fall off the rails but doesn't, and. It's just so tastefully put together, Stone. Like, I, I really love that song. And had the rest of the album been to the same level as Stone and Hollow, then I might have put it higher. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Then you get Voices. Uh, a trend you'll notice with these modern Alice in Chains albums is that some tracks delve into full-on groove and doom metal territory, while others are just straight-up rock songs. And this one is one of the latter. Well, I feel like what they've done, especially with the three albums um, with with William Duvall, is they've tried to marry what they did in on an album like Dirt with what they did with Jar of Flies and Sap. So you're yeah. you're getting the the best the both worlds of Alice in Chains instead of them putting out EPs every once in a while, it's an album and you're getting the heavy shit along with the acoustic sort of straight up songs, and um, they're good at doing both really. And I feel like that's that's one of their defining characteristics is the fact that they can write something crushing, but they can also make something softer and catchier and still you know having that kind of dark edge to it, but in a different way and um the fact that you know acoustic guitar became a much more prominent part of his sound as time went on um it really does go to show like he knows what he's doing in any setting that he chooses because many alice in chain songs uh you know translated excellently on unplugged and we'll get to that but uh right now uh let's get to uh the devil put dinosaurs here the title uh, track title track uh spooky grungy title track uh memorable chorus melody pretty damn cool song lab monkey this sabbathy plodding doomer song uh, low ceiling straddles that line between the rock and metal oh, side you, of Alice in Chains. Did you did you did you skip Lab Monkey? No, I I got Lab Monkey. Oh, Sabbathy, okay. oh yeah, Sabbathy sorry. Plotting kind. Of I was thing. still I was still in my head thinking about the devil put dinosaurs here because I always because right. I always liked the chorus of that how it's the devil put dinosaurs here Jesus don't like a queer. Yeah, like I, I was I always like how especially in the modern Alice in Chains uh, era. Jerry Cantrell is not afraid to put some social commentary in some of the songs. Yeah. You'll hear lyrics where you're just like, oh, I know what he's talking about. And it's and it's the kind of thing where I'm like, not a lot of bands do that these days. No, no bands are bold with that kind of thing. Now, if we've learned yeah. anything from modern music fans, nobody listens to the lyrics anyway. <laughs> people are getting mad at Rage Against the Machine. Like, well, you, why do you guys got to be political all the time? Go back to your music. Oh, that made me laugh. <laughs> like it, it, it's like fucking hell. Like the fact that people didn't get a political vibe from a band literally called Rage Against <laughs> the Machine. Like, <laughs> it, yeah, well, it, no, it's it like it no, just, it's like you can rage against the machine. I want you to rage against. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Follow the rules. Fuck you. You do what you, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That, we'll save that for the Rage Against the Machine episode. <laughs> that's good. That's going to be a good one. I can tell. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, where was it? Where uh, was low, I? Low ceiling. I'm sorry. Low ce- Yeah. I was just saying, uh, straddles that line between the rock sides and the metal sides, Valis and Chains. Uh, breath on a window this vibey bendy rocker great lead guitar at the end really tasteful lead playing um because jerry can do widdly widdly stuff but he chooses to keep it bluesy and he is not flashy at all but still amazing yeah that's the thing he he could be a shredder if he wanted to but he's more interested in feel and serving the song, which is commendable as a guitarist because there is a thing I've, I've been in this situation myself, you know, playing guitar. You, you always want to be able to absolutely rip it up. But at the end of the day, when you listen to something like comfortably numb, for example, which has an amazing guitar solo in it, it's not shreddy at all. It's all melodic kind of stuff. And it's that ability to decide, do you know what? This needs this type of solo. Yeah. That really sets apart a uh, musician and a songwriter. It's serving the song, as they say. Exactly. Yeah. Um, scalpel. Uh, similar to voices with that kind of acoustic rock vibe, Phantom Limb, mm-hmm. arguably the heaviest song on the album, like next to Hollow and maybe Stone. I'd I'd go so far as to say this is the heaviest song on the album. Yeah, and well, and also like it, it I'm one of those suckers for a good stop in the middle of a riff. Yeah. I mean, it's it's <laughs> once that stop. Ha- I mean, the riff's already cool, but you throw in the stop, yeah. and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right in that sweet spot for me. And then it just kicks in, and every subsequent section following it just crushes. Um, yeah, this is this is one of those things. I'll, I'll I'll say this a few times. I'm sure with these albums, um, this is the one. Is this the only one? where William Duvall is prominent on vocals on this album? I think, I think there's one after Oh, no, hung, hung on a hook. He's prominent oh. on that, too, which is another amazing one. We'll get there. But um, I like it more when he is front and center. Like, I know he, he works very yeah. well with Cantrell and doing the harmonies, and you hear him on every song, but usually he's in the background or he just does a, a part here and there. But... Um, I mean, he, he's he's not as good of a vocalist as Lane Staley, obviously, but he's great, and I think he sounds he sounds good. So, so I almost feel like I wish there was more of him on the album. Um, and you and when you get to songs like Phantom Limb, I'm just like, yeah, because he sounds so good on this. That's why I love. Did you ever hear Giraffe Tongue Orchestra? The side project he did with the guy from Mastodon, guy from Dillinger. <sighs> Um, and Shit, the drum- no, that's an, I'm- it's an amazing album and it's just his, he's the main vocalist on it and it is, it's good. I'll, I'll, I'll remind you of that. You should go listen to it. Anyway, he's a great, awesome. he's a great singer. Cool. I'll have to check that one out. Um, 
that's a that's a band that's totally slipped me. What slipped away from me? What, what are they, they called? Giraffe Tongue Orchestra. So it's 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 William Duvall. Uh, shit. Um, uh, William. What is his name? Uh, shit. Uh, William Duvall. No, no, the other William uh, from Mastodon. Um, oh, oh shit. Brent Brent Hines. His name is William. <laughs> Brent, <laughs> Brent Hines from Mastodon. The uh, guitar player from Dillinger, who's now also in Suicidal Tendencies. I, I, why am I so bad with names right now? Um, <laughs> and then the drummer uh, was, I think, it played for the Mars Volta and people like that. Um, so it's a it's a collection of really great musicians. They came together. They only did one album, and it's kind of progressive. Uh, yeah. It's got straightforward rock elements, but also progressive elements. And they've only done one, so it's not like you got to do a lot of catching up. But it's it's really good. But we're <laughs> but I guess it's kind of related. But we're talking about uh, Alice, Alice and Chains. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I was just saying. Where are we at? We're at hung on a hook. Hung on a hook. Yeah. Uh, see, t- to me, this was kind of a woozy sounding slow track. It it wasn't exactly my favorite track on the record, but to 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 me. Um, I, how long? How long is the album? Because there's quite a few lengthy it's, tracks. Yeah, it's over an hour long. It's it's very, yeah, it's very long. But hung on a hook. I love William Duvall's vocal on the verses. It just oh yeah, yeah. it sounds he stands out sexy. Like it yeah. just sounds <laughs> good. Like that's that's hung on a hook is a song you put on a mixtape for a lady. You're like here, here's a little <laughs> Alice in Chains for you. <laughs> hung on a hook, more like hung like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we went there already. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um yeah, and then finally we've got Choke, uh which uh, closes out the record. It's kind of melancholy acoustic rocker. It's overall it's a good album. Uh not bad by any means, but compared to albums higher up, it is in my opinion guilty of a little filler. Perhaps some of the later tracks uh, especially those two following Phantom Limb need to grow on me because I haven't listened to this album fully in a long time. Yeah. Uh, select songs off of it, especially obviously Hollow Stone and Phantom Limb, but the rest of the tracks, I think I, I do need to give a little bit of uh, extra attention to. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, um, overall, I, I, I kind of agree with your assessment. Um, is, are you done with this one? Yeah, yeah, I'm um, I'm all while, wrapped up with that bad boy. While while I do agree that it's not my number nine, you can probably guess what my number nine is, <laughs> because <laughs> uh, I I'm not a fan of the unplugged albums. Um, so really? my number nine is the MTV Unplugged album from '96, and I wasn't I didn't this we are including including this uh, uh, because Eddie suggested it, and I'm fine with that. And we also included the unplugged album when we did the Nirvana discography way back when remember back in the day (laughs) and um and it's not because it's bad like i agree with eddie that there are no bad alice in chains albums but i feel like the unplugged albums they're never albums that i go for to listen to because if i want to listen to alice in chains this is not what Alice in Chains sounds like. They sound like it on occasional songs and a little bit on 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 Sap and on on Jar of Flies. And really, most of the songs they do on this are from those, and then the acoustic kind of songs 
that you know they have on uh the tripod album and and whatnot but um I, the, so for let's start with the things I like about the unplugged album. One, of, of course, the number one thing I like about this is that we have Lane Staley. Lane Staley yeah. is one of my favorite vocalists. I he some vocalists have such a unique thing going on in their voice, and it's not just it's not just um, his singing ability. Um, a lot of what went on with the vocal harmonies in Alice in Chains back in the day, if you read up on it, it had a lot to do with Lane. It was a lot of his ideas. And then live, yeah. Jerry Cantrell was there to fill it in, and he also filled he did vocals on the albums as well. But Lane is just one of those people that I think, even though a lot of people talk about how great he was, I still think he's underrated. I think he he yeah. deserves a lot more credit than he got. So I love that. We get to hear Lane, which I guess this is the last recorded thing with Lane before they split up, and then he died several years later. But um, so I like that part of it. I think and he did it like I think he did like a couple tracks in a recording session. I think one of them being oh, get think, born again, and uh, died as well. Died. Yeah, you're right. Okay. So, but so that's so we have those two, but we're not covering those obviously, but those are, it's good to mention these other tracks that are out there that are, that are really cool. Um, so yeah, the, the, another, another positive in for me is that we get a song that isn't on anything else, which is the killer is me, which wraps up the album. Um, but that song is just okay. It, It seems it's mostly Jerry Cantrell singing and it feels like a song that wasn't quite finished yet. So as an Alice in Chains fan, I love hearing it because it's something that's not on an album, but it's it's not amazing, so it doesn't really hold the album any higher, in my opinion. And then, so let's get to the bad. Um, I don't want to hear songs like Sludge Factory and Angry Chair done acoustically. They sound bad. They're, those songs have a heavy, doomy quality that's brought forth in the distorted guitars and the the aura of those songs is so great that you hear them stripped down and I just go, I don't, I don't want to hear this. I don't, I want to go listen to the real Sludge Factory, which sounds like a Sludge Factory <laughs> when you're listening to it. <laughs> the acoustic version just does not do it for me. And what you're really left with here is, like I argued with the Nirvana Unplugged, you're left with a representation of the band where... I'm willing to bet there are people out there that this is their favorite Alice in Chains album. And I, like I said with the Nirvana one, if that's the case, then you are not a fan of Alice in Chains. You're a fan <laughs> of acoustic alternative music. And so it just isn't a good representation of them. But I like it because I'm a fan. But that's, that's really it. Like it doesn't, it's not good enough to make me go back and want to listen to it again. Like I listened to the Unplugged album once every 10 years, maybe. I think I've listened to it all the way through three times <laughs> since it came out. Now, I've watched the the actual uh, video version of it several times, but that's just yeah. because I prefer, I prefer to watch it over listening to it if I have that option because I like seeing the band do their things. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, as overall, um, I'm going to take original studio recordings over a stripped-down acoustic live performance any day. Um, just because that's, that's just how I am. Like I, like I'm, I'm, I'm the same way with live albums. I think live albums are cool and some of them I really enjoy, but, um, for some reason I just, I, the, the art, the art form of 
the of recording the parts and layering them and mixing them and mastering them and putting together the package that is an album that is something that is has always been fascinating to me and when a band nails it when they do it it makes that much more interesting to me than just hearing them play the songs live if i'm not there you know what i'm saying being yeah. there is one thing listening to it um it's enjoyable but it but it's it's not enough so there you go, my number nine, MTV Unplugged. Yeah, I I would say, you know, obviously with um, like certain tracks that Alice in Chains wrote really did benefit from the real metallic quality of their heavy guitars and stuff. But I will say, while I probably, I would say, yeah, I kind of agree with uh, the Angry Chair one because that one's really accentuated by the heavy guitars. But I, I gotta say, I do quite like the uh, unplugged version of Sludge Factory. Yeah, and the, and it could just be the fact that it really it has it has a lot of things about it that to me you could I don't know how to put it aside from the fact that while it's pretty much ginger. Down, like pretty much right the way through um it has a sort sort of a more vibey quality than angry chair does because angry chair it, it goes from that like clean guitar part da, 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 da. Yeah. but when it's still the clean guitar it doesn't jump out as much so yeah and i i, I do i do see what you mean with the um what's it called um God, I am I am flubbing my words here right now. Um, it's hard for me to put into words. <laughs> major, please, major please, brain. Please fart. hold everyone. <laughs> it's just the 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 quality of of, a, of an unplugged gig. It it is interesting it's, to hear yeah. these songs done in a stripped down manner. I totally understand that, and I agree. But I just don't. It's not yeah. something you leap to. No, out of choice. no. It just feels yeah. like it feels like something's missing from the from the performances like that. But I don't know. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, session number nine pick. Yup. Cool. Um, so for my number eight, I've gone for Black Gives Way to Blue. Oh, okay. Now, it, I I want to make it very clear. Um, I'm a lane guy, you know, the, the Lane era Alice in Chains it is almost like a, a, a different band in, in a way because yeah. there's just something about the way Lane's presence made it such a, a unique thing. Whereas, whereas now I feel like I, I hate being the guy that's like the new stuff isn't as good because it's fucking great music. I just feel like it has less that sets it apart, aside from Jerry Cantrell's um, obvious excellent riffs and stuff like that, and unique vocals himself. Yeah, I, I, I feel like the difference between the two for me is, um, one, obviously you're missing Lane, but I also feel that the overall feeling in the songwriting and performances and choices that are made in songs 
it's almost like the the last three albums they're a more mature version of Alice in Chains where yeah the, the original version of Alice in Chains you know was like a uh a, a genius who was was uh was also a little bit nutty and slept on everyone's couches and didn't have a home or a job yeah he was he was a he was a wanderer and now that guy has gotten a steady job, but he still does music. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It feels thing, way yeah. more like the the rough edges are a little bit smoothed out, and it's a little bit less uh, adventurous. Because I, yeah. I feel with Alice in Chains, you never quite knew what you were going to get, and now they've done three albums where, in my opinion, you kind of know what you're going to get. It, it, it's yeah. gonna, it's I mean, it's going to be good. But it's it's not going to be surprising. Yeah, sonically, the three modern studio albums are very similar, and you know, three albums in that was it nine year period because they I think they're all like four or five years apart. Yeah, this I? one was in two thousand and nine, so it's been it's been nine, uh, eleven years since this one. <sighs> Jesus Christ! Um, yeah. Uh, so it's obvious, it's the first album of the uh, William Duvall uh, era, um, and it really just comes right out of the gate saying we're heavy, we're we're a modern hard rock metal kind of thing, and it has a real it, the darkness of Alice in Chains is still very present on this album. Oh yeah, for sure. But it's got a you know, obviously a very modern sound, um, and it's very in your face and, uh, yeah, all secrets known, super heavy opening track introducing the world to this resurrected Alice in Chains, uh, with the, there's no going back. Like so fucking cool. Um, it's a great, that's a great opener because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a song, on its own, it feels like it is an introduction more, even though it's not an instrumental like intro, it's, a, it's clearly yeah. a song. It just doesn't follow like a verse, chorus, verse kind of thing. It's yeah. just a mood that brings you into the album. It's almost like a kind of like a, a kettle or a pot that's just like slowly oh, boiling yeah. over. I, and I it's like, it's reaching the point of where it's just going to explode. And then, you know, it eventually does. And it's just so good. Uh, and then you have the standout single from the from the album, Check My Brain. And, uh, Bendy riff. Bendy riff. You like bends? <laughs> you like bends? Here's a song where the riff is just bends. It's a whole you know? bend the whole time. We talked about yeah. this briefly on the last episode, cause, but I love, <laughs> man, you, I listened to that on headphones and the, the riff makes me feel like I'm drunk. It's just, yeah. and the fact that they just continue doing these straight harmony vocals over it, and if you yeah. pay, if you pay too much attention to the riff, you're like, holy, okay, I'm trying to stay on track here, <laughs> yeah. but the riff is, and it's just, it's so genius. Like it's, yeah. it's so simple. It's literally putting your finger in one spot on the guitar and bending it in different ways at different times, and it's like. How, who, who would have thought <laughs> that, that that would have been one of my favorite riffs? Remember, kids, work smarter, not harder. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> look, learn from Jerry Cantrell. You don't always have to be a virtuoso to write a badass riff. Hell yeah. There, there's something to be said for how 
how useful bends are to accentuate a riff because they do it a lot these days especially yeah i mean they, they did it in the past but on these modern alice in chains albums there's some real like burn moments and you and i both love shit like that yep and i think you know like i said this is the second album from the bottom and i still pretty much have nothing but positives (laughs) yeah it's just uh the fact that the stuff above it has more positives so uh yeah check my brain check that fucking song out because it rules um but yeah last of my kind kind of slow and doomy with a modern you know kind of alt feel that one is that one's a uh william duvall main vocal he sounds fucking great on that song yeah and then there's this great mid-tempo groove thrash riff that comes in and just utterly crushes and it it feels a little bit like uh dragula by um rob zombie Oh, okay. Yeah. It's got a real, really cool, punchy vibe to it. Um, your decision, uh, the first of these modern acoustic led rock ballads that the band would continue to do on albums from here on in. And it's like you say, with these new albums, they kind of marry together all of the elements of their old records from the 90s, really and give it a modern uh kick up the ass but uh yeah it's a it's a really cool album so far uh, a looking in view mm-hmm. back to that really heavy bendy feel really like that track so the, uh, and, and that just to put it in context so when they announced this album um, yeah as a really huge alice in chains fan my immediate reaction was no I'm not going to support this. The, really? I don't know why you're doing... Yeah. Because I, I, yeah. I thought that, that Jerry Cantrell's solo stuff was, was good. And I'm like, great. But then it's like, oh, new Alice in Chains album. It was, I was like, how can you do that? And so I was, yeah. like, I was like, I'm not going to like this. And the first song they released from it was A Looking in View, which is the, yeah. the doomiest and heaviest thing, I think, probably on the album. It's not. Yeah. I don't know if it's not the heaviest, but it's definitely the doomiest feeling. And the fact that they came out with that, I immediately was like, "All right, I'm wrong. I am wrong. Yeah. Th- this is good. <laughs> I don't. I. I, yeah. I. I had. I had to get over the fact that Lane wasn't there, but I couldn't deny that as a song, it was really good. And so I'm like, "All right, cool." And ever since then, I've sort of had to leave behind that feeling of you can't do this shit without Lane. Um, which yeah. I, which I think a lot of people probably still hold on to that, which is fine. I totally get it. But, um, it, it's at the end of the day, it's you, you don't, we don't know Lane and Lane may have been a guy that's like, don't, don't ever stop doing Alice in Chains if I'm not doing it. You know, he may, he may have been that kind of dude. And so yeah. maybe they're doing it to, to, you know, to, so his legacy is carried on. He is, he is remembered as the guy from Alice in Chains. Alice in Chains is still very much in the public eye, carrying on the legacy of Lane Staley. And so there you go. That's my reasoning. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, awesome. that was a great, yeah. that was a great first song to come out. Yeah, totally. It, especially with that dun, 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 dun. It's yeah. just, and then really kicks off it's just such a such a great 
it was it the it was the first song off of the off of the record, wasn't it? To, it to it was be... yeah, it was the first one released. Yeah. And so it was it was a really nice introduction to what they were doing. Yeah, it's it's a badass song. Uh then you got When the Sun Rose Again, uh dark, vibey acoustic song, great lead guitar on it too. Uh like I say, they really know how to put the right kind of solo where it needs to go. And also, I'd, I'd, I'd like to, to jump in on this song, When the Sun Rose Again. It's Out of the, all of the three modern albums, I think this is my favorite acoustic song because the vocal in the chorus part reminds me of old Alice in Chains because it does this weird thing where it keeps going down and down. Like it's it's real. It's a pretty acoustic song, but then the the way that they wrote that chorus, I'm just like, that's like something Lane would have done. I feel, and so the fact that it gives me that vibe, I'm like, this is the best acoustic one I think they've done. Yeah, I I would agree. It's it's got a really cool vibe to it. Um, Acid bubble. This kind of dirgy depressed in tone gives off like slight doom vibes with a grungy overtone and then this sick middle section riff like that's that part gives me chills it's so good in 10 obsolescence built into the system like it's just so good it's so out of left field as well yeah (laughs) you don't see it coming and then it just happens yeah i love Um, it awesome song uh, lesson learned, loose riffy grunger. Uh, take her out, take her out. Now I am going to ruin this track for a lot of people with no! my Britishness. Why? <laughs> the the very first three or four notes of this song sounds like the East Enders theme, and is a cool song, but it's kind of ruined for me by that. And it's like that. Well, the, the East Enders theme song goes do 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 the BBC channel on in the background and not have that come on at some point. (laughs) Yeah. That's something where like, it's been on for it for so many years and I've never known in the history of television, a single pub to burn down so many fucking times. But uh, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, diverging back, you know, take her out. Really cool song, but uh, yeah, if you if you've never heard the East Enders theme and you want to keep enjoying this song, avoid the East Enders theme like the plague. See, it'll be it'll be the it. opposite for me. I'll be like, hey, they they ripped off that Alice in Chains song. <laughs> oh, sorry, I had to take a I had to take a big old drink there. My throat was getting dry. Cool, cool. Uh, Private Hell, this uh, melancholy kind of vibey track. They do a lot of like the kind of melancholy vibey stuff you know, on the some killer harmony records. vocals on that track like it that song reminds me of down in a hole a little bit uh, yeah. the vibe of it but it that's the one thing that i'm i'm glad that they've carried that over the the kind of the alice and chain one of the one of the characteristics of alice and chain's music is the is the big layered harmony vocals and private yeah. private hell is probably the best one in this album for those kind of vocals and i just 
that's like that's a that's a thing that I that I get off on on these albums. I love the riffs and everything, but when they layer those harmonies, it's just it sounds amazing. Totally. And then finally, we get the title track and this song is a touching tribute to Lane Staley and it also features Elton John on piano. That sure uh, does. It's it, that was a fact that really surprised me, but totally makes sense to me now. And it's, it's interesting because they asked him to come in and and not do vocals. Like they didn't. Yeah. Even, he could have just <laughs> chimed in for a second and been like, "Ah, Melton John," and just you know come in for a second. Um, yeah. but, but it's but it's classy how he just came in and played his piano part, which anybody could have played. It's not that yeah. it's not that interesting, but still, it's like, all right, cool. You brought in an iconic. Uh, you know, songwriter and musician to play on this song tributing, you know, Lane Staley. So it's it's kind of cool. I think uh, I think I, I read into it a little bit. I think Jerry Cantrell's first ever record he owned was an Elton John album oh, okay. as well. And uh, I think they'd done something in the past as well. I, I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Uh, Jerry might have appeared on an Elton John track or something. I can't remember specifically, but yeah, uh, yeah there's a there's a cool connection there with Alison Chains and Elton John. But yeah, that is my that is my number eight pick. Cool. Um, Black gives way to blue. Awesome. My uh, my number eight. Um, I'll be quick on this because we already talked about it. My number eight is the Devil Put Dinosaurs Here from 2013. Um, cool. So. I don't really have a lot to add because the reason why when it, you know, for the studio albums, this is, this is dead last. Um, for all of the things that you said, I feel like there's filler on here. And, um, honestly, I think as much as I agree that there's a lot of really great things about like, let's take the song stone because stone, like the riff is great. It starts off really good, but it, the the rest of it doesn't really deliver, especially vocally, because the, there's it's so I don't something about it just feels like it needs more vocally, um, especially in the choruses and it just because all they're saying is cold and dry a stone, stone. like it's just <laughs> but the way but the, I'm singing it faster than they're doing it. And it just feels because the riff underneath is so cool because they do that little quick dig it, you know, underneath it. And yeah, and, for, and this album has a lot of those things where I feel like cool parts aren't used to their full potential. Uh, yeah, thank you. That's that's what I mean. So it's so there's 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 good songs on here, just not enough great songs because I, yeah. I I do like this album. And honestly, when I did my video ranking of Alice in Chains a year or so ago. This one was not the last one. Um, And uh, going back and listening to them, the interesting thing that I have to say, and I'll talk about this more, especially on the next episode, but this is the first time I had gone and listened to the albums in order. Like, yeah, like I, I had, I know them all very well but I decided to do do all the way through. And I have to admit that you hit the William Duvall era and it loses a lot. It loses, it loses some sort of, 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 I don't know exactly what it is, but 
it it definitely like these albums taken on their own are good. Putting yeah. them against the original Alice in Chains stuff, it's it's rough because uh, I, I want to like them a lot, but re, uh, related to each other, I I don't. But um, this has some great shit on it. It's just uh, not as good as the two other William Duvall albums, in my opinion. And I do think I've said this before: Duvall needs to be front and center more. Because I think the songs that he sings lead on on this album are my favorites on the album, which is Phantom Limb and Hung on a Hook. I think they're both really good songs. Um, yeah. And this, and this is the re- my reasoning, and this is not going to be a, a popular statement with some people. I don't think Jerry Cantrell is an interesting vocalist. I, him as a lead vocalist doesn't do it for me. He doesn't have enough. He doesn't bring enough to the table vocally to make it interesting enough. So him and William Duvall together sound really good. But then you hear William Duvall prominently and I'm like, well, that's the money right there. They should be, (laughs) they, they should, he should be more prominent because he has a more interesting voice. Like I said before, nowhere near Lane Staley, but he could carry the band um, and just have, the harmony vocals from Jerry Cantrell or, or some tracks here and there with Jerry singing um, lead. But it just, it, it going back and listening to these, when I hear those songs, I go, man, I, I would love the album probably a lot more if, if William Duvall was more prominent on them. And so overall, I even remember when this album came out, I wanted to like it a lot more than I did. And I feel the same way now. I, yeah. uh, I like the songs that I like. The rest of them are good, but it, it's it's kind of a tough album to make it all the way through in one listen because it just feels like it goes on a little bit too long. And um, yeah, I just I just think that uh, it just doesn't hold up. So uh, as as well as the other two that that William Duvall has been on, so that's why it's here at my number eight. Cool. Um, so my number seven. Uh, there's kind of a pattern here <laughs> with uh, my picks. But uh, thankfully, it's it's an upward trajectory because for me, my number seven pick is the most recent entry in their records, and it is Rainier Fog. Mm-hmm. So coming right off of the bat with the one you know, God damn, you know, heavy doesn't come close. It's so really the interesting really thing dissonant. about this song is that the riff. That comes in in the song. That's literally the riff from a song that I wrote about 10 years ago. <laughs> no way. Yeah. And so the first holy time I heard shit. it, I was like, holy shit. Like, great minds think alike, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, the, like, the band I was in at the time, like, that was one of the... There was a... I, I, I'm not ever super happy with my songwriting, but that one is one that stuck with me because I liked the riffs that I wrote. And one of them was the only difference between my riff and that riff is that the stops are more, the starts and stops are faster. So mine is that was mine. So, so yeah. So every time I hear this, I go, Oh man, I wrote an Alice in Chains song. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to interrupt. That's awesome. You'll have to, um, have you got any recordings of it? No, not of that song. Oh, I was gonna say because you could, you know, maybe sue for some royalties. Actually, no. I, I have, there's a there's a poorly recorded live version of it I have somewhere. So yeah, I can I could probably find it sometime. 
That's awesome, dude. Yeah, it it's it's a really dissonant and doomy song. It, fucking rad. Not much I can say, but Jerry never lost his ability to write killer riffs. Yep. Uh, we've kind of hammered that into the ground by this point, but he is of the modern uh, era, you know, 90s onwards, he's one of the greats riff-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, title track, Rainier Fog. There's something kind of full circle about this album already, in uh, especially in this song. There's a fusion of the modern hard rock sound with their doomy grunge sound, and it reminds me, in a way, of the energy of Facelift, except instead of a slight California 80s metal edge, it's a modern hard rock edge instead. So they're kind of re-experimenting, at least to my ears, with a more radio kind of thing, but still blending it with their dark side. So at points, I do get some facelift vibes in what they're going for, at least. Maybe not in the sound explicitly, but there's something kind of fun about parts of this album. Red Giant is back in the heavy zone. Uh, With a name like Red Giant, you expect something heavy, and it fucking delivers. And it's, it's, Um, it's, 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 it's rumored, if you read into the lyrics, it's about Donald Trump. But um, is it? Yeah, but that's <laughs> that's just what I've gathered, and from what I've read here and there, that it could possibly be about that. But you know, that's that's up for interpretation, I guess. Yeah, yeah it, it could add up. I'll have to look into the uh, lyrics. Yeah. Um, fly, melancholy hard rock ballad with a slightly Leonard Skinner edge to it at points. Uh, so far, I absolutely love this album. Mm-hmm. I think this. This one, in my opinion, is the strongest uh, of the modern era. Um, drone. So far, this album has a pattern. Metal, rock, metal, rock, metal. <laughs> and yeah, I, I like that. It keeps the listener on their toes. Um, this song in particular, Drone, is pure Sabbath right here. This is Black Sabbath worship at its best. Um Deaf ears, blind eyes, uh, breaks the pattern, but comes as a welcome surprise. Uh, it's another heavy doomer, kind of great vibe on this record. They really nailed that kind of thing here. Uh, maybe uh, kind of a blend of the ballady side and the heavy side. So far under. We got to talk yes. about so far under, right? They, Bendy- so I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the second half of each of the out al- of their the William Duvall era albums has that one killer song. Yeah. So you yeah. have you have Phantom Limb on Black, on a uh, Devil, and then you have this one, and then the other one is uh, what's what whatever we just talked about. <laughs> acid, acid bubble. Acid bubble. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like, and they all are William Duvall songs. So somebody's bringing yeah. bringing their A game with these. Yeah, there's just something about this song, and it's that it's that real bendy fucking badass. The, so far, yeah. Around, the fact, yeah. yes. So once again, that's the thing that I love, where the riff keeps going down and down, and the vocals are right on top of it. So it's so yeah. every time I saw them on the tour for this album, and they played that song, and it sounded so good live when they did that part. That I'm just yeah. like, I can go, I can go home now. I don't have to hear them play Rooster. <laughs> 
they can they can stop now. That's just such a fucking great song. Yeah, it's a fantastic song, and it's just. I feel like it, it took, um, it kind of took everything great about Stone and um, Check My Brain and made it one song, yeah. and it's just bends galore. <laughs> um, awesome chorus, awesome riffs, awesome song all round. Mm-hmm. Definitely the B side B highlight of the record. Uh, Never fade. It's back to a more hard rock one, more upbeat track. And then All I Am, Melancholy, album closing ballad, damn yeah. imp- to the damn impressive record that is Rainier Fog. Well, let's just uh, hang out here for a while because my number seven is also Rainier Fog. And um, nice. this was my dead last album when I did my ranking a year ago because... It was the newest album at the time. I think it, it had been out an, uh, just a handful of months. So yeah. I, I always like to give myself time with an album before I rank it. Because it's like it, it, an album that I love as soon as I hear it, there, there's no telling what I'm going to feel two years down the line. Or the mm. other way around. If I think it's not very good, maybe I'll think it's way better. Which in this case, it, it got better the more I listened to it. And For sure. To me, it's... It's got so many memorable elements in the songs. I I feel like the overall the album it, it's it has something that feels restrained about it and I think that's on the production side of things because it's the least heavy sonically of the three William Duval albums even though they have the heavy riffs and everything if you listen to them together something is is missing it's a little it's a little restrained is the best word i can think of and another thing that was a detriment to this album when it came out was the fact that it sounds also production wise too similar to the other two albums where you you could literally interchange the songs between the three william duval era albums and just make another album and most people would not <laughs> even know that they came from a different time period or you know whatever yeah. recording session. And it's because they use the same producer. Uh, it's, it's Nick Rasculinas who uh, also produced <laughs> a couple rush albums, the last rush album also. Um, but he's done, he's done other things too. I think he did. Did you like Queens of the stone age or something? I don't know. He's done, he's done a lot of things and he's perfectly capable as a producer. Like I like how these albums sound, but I think I've said this on numerous podcast episodes I like albums to sound like individual experiences that you can't tie to another album. So Agreed. I hope that they move to a different producer for the next album, uh, or at least come to him and say, look, we want to have a completely different vibe and see what he can do. Cause I'm sure he can, but yeah. that's the biggest problem with this album. Cause the songs are good. A lot of fucking great riffs. I love the riff on drone that you know that whole thing it's it's, and it's it's got a cool groove to it i love that shit we've already talked about so far under it's amazing um yeah the 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 big thing with these albums that i noticed once i got all the way through their discography to rainier fog i really noticed that the 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 hole that had been left by Lane Staley 
I think it's getting bigger. And I don't think what these guys are doing is filling it enough for me. So it, hmm. it's my overall feeling about Alice in Chains now. I, I used to just put them up. They were like one of my top three or four bands. Now they'd probably be in the lower half of the 10, you know, like eight or nine because yeah. of the fact that now it doesn't feel as good. The, the, I feel a big division between the two eras of Alice in Chains to where these are albums coming from a really good band. The first half came from a phenomenal band. And it's, yeah. the more time goes on, the more I'm like, yeah, the... Cause you, cause you get into listening to these old Alice in Chains albums that, that, especially for me, I've heard hundreds of times and I've had 30 years with or however long. And now that I'm having more time with the William Duvall era albums, those are not aging the same way. Those are becoming yeah. albums that I think are good, but they don't, they don't just, I don't know, they don't do the same shit for me. So, um, Yeah. That's 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 just my two cents on this this era of the band. I'm still going to be on board if they put out another album. I'm going to order pre-order the shit on vinyl. Um, I'll happily go see them play live anytime I can because they're still an amazing band. I just I I miss Lane, and you know it's it's that's a hard yeah. that's hard to say because I think it th- honestly like I'm not that sentimental of a person when it comes to musicians and bands. Like it's sad when somebody dies or when somebody quits a band, but sometimes there are musicians that I feel like their presence is a big part of what made the band so great. And when you move yeah. on without them, it, 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 it may be a great idea at the time, but overall I just feel like it's, it's, uh, it's just making the band feel not as special, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but I still think this is a really great album. So I, I, I don't mean to get all heavy there, but it's, I'm being honest with with how I feel about these. I I don't I, I don't want to be one of these those people that just shits all over what a band does later on in their career because that's not me. But um, I would be a fool if I didn't point out that there is something missing, and it's Lane. So um, so yeah, <laughs> Rainier Fog. <laughs> <laughs> Which is it's good. It's it's uh it's it's aged better than Devil. Uh, I was about to say Devil wears Prada. <laughs> the, <laughs> devil, the Devil put dinosaurs here. Um, so yeah, that's my number seven. There's a band called I think they're called Scorned, spelt with a S K. Okay. Um, and I I don't know whether or not they're still together or not, but they, I I remember seeing it. I I can't remember. It was like a metal injection article or something. And this kid's voice sounds very like, maybe not exactly the same, but damn close to Lane's vocal style. Mm -hmm. And I think he got hired by facelift, which is a, uh, Alison change tribute act. Oh, okay. And he's a fucking good singer. Like I'll, I'll have to, and let, let me let me look it up. Let me see. Yeah, there's a song called Psychosis, uh, by uh, Scorned, and uh, okay, it's, I'll have to go check it out. Yeah, it's it's fucking rad. The the kid if, sounds so much like Lane. 
I'm sure I'm, I'll, I'm sure I'll enjoy it. Whether or not I think it's good is another <laughs> is another story. <laughs> because sometimes people they sound like another singer, but they're missing you know really important elements. Um, so, but it, I'll go I'll go check it out for sure. Cool. Uh, yeah. So I guess that brings me to my number six. Number six. Number six. Um, so for my number six, now this is where it got difficult for me because. This, I'd say probably six, maybe five onward, you could probably trade a couple spots and I it would look like my list. Yeah. Um, but this is the only one I was pretty certain was going to be at number six because it's not the modern era, but it's kind of, it, it's the last of the original run. So I've gone for tripod or oh my god, Allison okay. Allison Chains for my number I'm, six. I'm a, I was a I was about to pull a painkiller on you and be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. okay, okay. Let's let's talk about uh, tripod. What's well, I mean? It's just called Allison Chains. Yeah, but it's 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 called tripod um, because there's a three legged dog on the front of it, and um, yeah. Just a nickname. So let, let's let's yeah. let's dive into this one. Okay, so my story with uh, their self-titled album from 1995. This album took me a long time to get into, and mm-hmm. there's reasons for this. It's way drier and rawer than anything before it. Yeah, it's it's really long, and the band <laughs> the band was falling apart, and it kind of has a sad aura around it. Yeah. Uh, totally. That being said, as time has passed, I've had years to warm up to this record, and I'm now realized how strong it really is, but oh, yeah. for different reasons for yeah. me personally. I think and for some of the reasons that you already mentioned is why I think it's strong. Like it does, it has a band on the brink of self destruction kind of quality to it that yeah. I totally enjoy yeah it's it's very dark it's probably the darkest it, it i've not even probably definitely the darkest album of the yeah. original run uh and it opens with grind this plodding chugging opening statement for the album um it it really just just show right off the bat hey it's it's rawer, it's drier, it's got a slightly more modern feel, um, but it's just so, it's very doomy in in this album especially yeah. because it, Hell yeah. it's Hell yeah. like before it, Facelift had a kind of a fun vibe almost with a dark overtone to it. Yeah. Dirt was where it got dark. And this is where it gets depressing. <laughs> but, and it's interesting, though, yeah. because you talk about those dark albums and they're all in between them are acoustic yeah. EPs where they do a lighter version of their sounds. I mean, they're all it's always dark. But yeah, yeah. you're right. Like this one, it's almost like they tried to go completely the opposite end yeah. from Jar of Flies and just make the, except for a couple songs, the darkest music that they could. Yeah. Uh, I totally think 
totally echo that statement. Brush Away is this psychedelic and vibey kind of thing. You all know I love when band, grunge bands do that shit, when they get really psyched out. Sludge Factory, heavy oh. as fuck. You know, one of my yeah. favorites on the album, easily. Um, oh, it's just so heavy. You know, that opening... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's yeah. so fucking good. And, it's and that's, just, that's that's a thing that they I love it that they have these really weird ideas, um, either guitar wise or vocally, and they're not afraid to throw them in. For and sure. There's a lot of that on this album. There's a lot of little things where when you hear the riff on its own, if somebody came to you and played down, down, bow, your instinct wouldn't be to go, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But it sounds so good right there. It's so it's so perfect. Yeah, I I would consider 1995 to be the year of the Grower album for me because pretty <laughs> yeah. much I, I think a lot of albums from 1995 had to grow on me, but when they do, they really click. And uh, Heaven Beside You is a song that grew on me. Uh, it it kind of starts off campfire-ish with the you know Jerry Cantrell acoustic kind of thing before going into really heavy, vibey sections. And I just think it should feel out of left field, but it flows. Like, there's a flow to that song. That There's there's a thing in that song that I... It's not just that song. It's a lot of music around this time that I refer to as the 90s midsection because yeah. you, don't, you don't hear this shit anymore. Yeah. But the fact that you could have a song that's acoustic... And and pretty beautiful with your regular your verse chorus, but then it goes into that the middle section, which is d- a darker middle section. Yeah, and a lot of bands did that, and I I loved that about. So there would be there are some songs where, by other bands, where that's my favorite part of the whole song, and that's what makes the song so cool. Yeah, and it's almost like it was accepted. It was accepted that on alternative radio or on MTV. It's perfectly fine if your song is six minutes long and you have this weird diverge divergence or whatever in the middle of it that nowadays would just be cut off altogether. Yeah. Um, and so I, I love that. I love that about this song. Totally. Um, Head Creeps. The drumming yeah. on this song is the kind of shit that I live for. Has an almost Sepultura meets Pantera with an Alice in Chains veneer feel at times. Which and, and you and you got a bendy riff, and you got a bendy riff, and <laughs> and that's the thing that all of those elements in 1995 make complete sense. Like, yeah, this is exactly what I'd expect, but done extremely well. Um, and I just got to say it right off the right out of the gate. Sean Kinney is one of my favorite drummers of all time. He's also very he's also very underrated, I think. Yeah. He's, he's way better than people give him credit for, I think. Yeah. Especially considering he played the facelift album with a broken hand. How, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how fucking awesome is that? And he's st- like his power and choice of rhythms and patterns, especially on stuff like No Excuses, just speaks to me and my drumming, especially yeah. I think to myself, oh yeah, let's throw in some in there you know just so, some unconventional tom stuff that you don't generally hear in a normal rock beat 
He, he's also really big on the on a, several songs. He does that thing. I don't know what the technical term would be, where it's a it's a light drum roll where the drumsticks are just sort of bouncing off of the snare. Yeah, like in like an angry chair and stuff like that. Do like he'll he adds a little thing. Yeah, you can if you weren't even paying attention, you wouldn't even know that it was there. But yeah. you listen more closely. Like, oh, he's doing a little. It's a bounce off of the. Ghost the notes, snare. yeah, yeah. Ghost notes. There you go. Yeah, the the ones that are more felt than heard, but really yeah. make a a song pop. You know, because if you played Angry Chair and just went boo, ka, boo, boo, ka, boo, ka, but like yeah. it would be kind of Which boring. You could. It's, yeah. it, it, it's it's good, but it's it, to quote Lars Ulrich, it's fucking stock. <laughs> like <laughs> it's stock to my ears. <laughs> Um, I was thinking, um, we put some fucking ghost notes. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to do that in, uh, in, um, uh, until it sleeps. He tried to throw in a little light, oh, yeah. little, little thing. It, it was, it, it wasn't lost on me at the time. I'm like, oh, they, they, they like Alice in Chains. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> he's going to throw some of that in there. Oh, load and reload major Alice in Chains influence on those yeah. records. And I think they'd probably admit to that anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's it's there's there's a lot of cool influences on Load and Reload, but this is Alice in Chains. Yeah. So I'm, I'm we'll a, get to don't don't worry people, we'll get to Metallica eventually. <laughs> yeah, like we We're tried to let that let like that we one tried at the start. <laughs> <laughs> um cool. So yeah, then we get again this furious monster of a track that Yes builds into this menacing chorus and even managed to fit in a into it what do you, and it is well like the thing i like about that is that it's lane or i don't know if it's lane or jerry that did it but they're doing that along with the harmonics on the guitar because the yeah. riff does a and then they just do the on top of it <laughs> and every time i hear that i'm like that is that's one of those genius parts i'm talking about or yeah. just like they they could have left that alone but they but they added that and it's one of my favorite parts on the album. I just love that they that you hear the little doot doots on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely sets it apart. Uh, great, great song. Um, Shame in you has this downtrodden, depressed feel, which really highlights that sad aura around the record that I was mentioned earlier. Unlike yeah. the previous tracks, though, which all have a heavy emphasis on the metal sound. This is a purely alternative grunge song and adds a nice change of pace to the record. Because really, Alice in Chains, while they get lumped in with the grunge stuff, are have an overwhelmingly metal sound. And um, it's, it's nice to hear them step out of that. You know, I know obviously they do that on the EPs, but yeah. to hear them do it on a studio album is, is an interesting choice. And also, like the shame in you has that thing I was talking about with the a song from the modern era where the the chorus of the song it, the vocals keep going down and down like it just goes yeah it, it's it's a uh, it Descending. almost feels it almost feels like it goes from a major key to a minor key and back again um, yeah and. And it's, it's, it's so good. They were so good at, at taking, making these songs all of a sudden have emotional turns that you weren't ready for, where it will turn dark and then back out into light again. And yeah. it's just, it's genius songwriting. For sure. Um, 
God Am. Love this song. Mm. Combines the grunge and metal yeah. sounds of all before it perfectly. Um, I love the I love the like stoner intro as well with the, like, the, <laughs> yeah. the the bong rip, and then he just goes like, "Sure, God is great, but does he have lips?" and that's another thing that you wouldn't just listening to the album playing on a stereo you you probably wouldn't even hear that part yeah it's um it's got a really cool riff in it as well that's and and this explosive chorus but those Mm -hmm. those riffs in this like (laughs) so unconventional but that's what makes their sound so interesting is that Mm -hmm. they can blast out these anthemic choruses with these weird dissonant riffs and stuff Mm -hmm. um so close punked out grunger shorter song on the album still manages to convey a variety in sound and emotion and once once again that fucking thing on the chorus so close now yeah like it's like (laughs) i'm always like oh it's so good and it's the (laughs) harmonies together totally these guys like, like like there's no you can't yeah, the 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 quality of the vocals on these albums, just everything going together, vocal harmonies that you would not have thought would have gone together or gone with a certain part of a song, it, they just pull it off so effortlessly, and I I totally love it. Yeah, you get no, nothing song. And ah, all, there's so many good tracks on this album. Yeah, that's the thing. I <laughs> I I feel like it suffers from like. Uh, a kind of bloated length but if you take the songs on their own they're really fucking good yeah um, i wouldn't i wouldn't take a song away from this album i don't oh, think oh yeah oh they all have such great qualities to them totally it's it's almost proggy it's it's a psyched out kind of vibe song cool track yeah. frogs Nothing song sticks to your mouth like peanut butter, butter on, on the, the brain. brain that, that that's a cool lyric <laughs> i can't do it yeah it's, it's like there's some really interesting and out there vocal choices on this yeah. album and that there is an example of like it, you wouldn't think of that like no that's just no, the genius of it ah oh, um frogs this doomy gloomy dirgy lengthy journey of a track um it's one of those that grew on me and now i really like um yeah that that song to me works because it leads into the next song yeah like the 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 weird dark journey that that song is and then you come out of it into over now i'm like oh that's just that's perfect perfect album sequencing in my opinion yeah i i would agree because over now is appropriately titled and this is a perfect album closer as it feels like a credit sequence. We've mentioned this before. Um, albums always gain bonus points for being sequenced well. And yeah. despite my initial problem when I first heard this album with the length of it and the change in sound to something a bit more drier, as this album's grown on me, I really appreciate it as a whole. And I feel like this is the perfect song to put at the end not just because it's called over now but it sounds like an ending song yeah and, and it, just the just the ominous quality of that lyric we pay our debt sometime yeah it's it's just it's it's very 
uh, poignant and um, especially seeing as though this is the last Alice yeah. in Chains album with Lane. Like it just, it has a, it it's, it's a weird, it's a song that you could, for the most part, you could say is kind of upbeat sounding. Yeah, it, but, it is. Um, but it, it, it's taken on a, a larger quality now, I think. Mm. There are some Alice in Chains songs that do sound pretty upbeat, but they have that dark overtone to them or undertone. But you, but you, but you see in this particular album, there is only two tracks where, where Jerry Cantrell is the lead vocalist. Yeah. And utilized in that way, it's, it works really well. Um, so that's why, like, I have no problem with him being the lead vocalist on heaven beside you and over now, because I think it's, I think it fits the song. So yeah, yeah, Def- I, I, I love this album. Definitely serves the music. well. And, uh, yeah, that is, that is my take. Um, while it might be a controversial placing for some diehard Alice in Chains fans, I, I, I gotta say, while I love this album now. It took a lot longer to grow on me than those above it. Yeah, and I feel I feel like some of it is due to the production because I I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the production because sometimes yeah. riffs that are really great get a little bit buried, and yeah. that hurts me a little bit. But once you get used to that, it's it the album just starts to reveal itself to you, and it's amazing. As as a as a big kind of you know. 80s fan especially like the the production of albums between the years of about 84 and 92 especially that kind of big roomy kind of whole stadium sound i like i like bands to sound big and spacey and this is very much the sound of a band in a room playing and while that can be cool to my ears um i feel like maybe if this had dirt production it would it dirt style production it might have resonated with me a little more and i might yeah. have placed it higher i uh I, I i would agree with that but then i i also have to stick with my my usual opinion which is i like the fact that it sounds like a different album yeah you know yeah. They, they they made a different choice and so that's what makes those the first three albums so cool to me is the fact that each one has a different vibe to it yeah um, but we're not we're not gonna we're not getting there for me yet we're gonna we're my number six um are you done with your number six uh yeah <laughs> yeah i'm done jump with in. number six my my number six is gonna be really quick uh my number six is black gives way to blue from 2009 the very first album with william duvall cool. all of the shit that i wanted to say about this album, I pretty much said interjecting into yours. Um, the th- for me, this album is the best out of the uh, William Duvall era because there is an energy to it. There is a, it's it. I don't know. It's it's out of the three. It's the the production is the heaviest. The riffs really stand out. But overall, it just sounds like a band that wants to prove themselves. And I get it because they had people like me who were out there being like, fuck this, you know? (laughs) And so I feel like they felt that a little bit. I'm pretty sure Jerry Cantrell struggled with using the Alice in Chains name. I, I, I just knowing what I know about him, it wasn't an easy decision for him. I'm sure. Yeah. And 
but this is one of those things like I love more than anything. I, I mean, I, I, I love when a band puts out an album that I love. It, it hits me and, and it's, it's a great album. But what I like more than that is when an, uh, when a band proves me wrong on something. So it's not just, it's not just this kind of album. It's like an album from a band that I just don't even fucking like. And then all of a sudden they come out with something that just makes me go, oh, well, maybe I am a fan of this band. So there's a weird feeling that I get, and I love it. I love just somebody giving me, presenting me with, with something that's going to fuck up my view of, of whatever it is that I'm, we're talking about, not yeah. just music. I, I, I enjoy that so much. And Black Gives Way to Blue was that in an album. It was an album that came out and forced it was like it almost grabbed me by the collar and was like motherfucker you're going to love this <laughs> yeah and i'm just like fuck i can't i can't argue with you you can you can let go of me now because i'm on board with you <laughs> and so yeah so it's my favorite out of the william duval era but because of all the things i said earlier when i was talking about rainier fog and and how i feel there's a, a huge division now between the two eras that's why it's here, uh, because I none of the Lane Staley recorded material um, could could have. Th- this isn't better than any of that. It's by any stretch of the imagination, but it is very good. Yeah. So just just very quickly, that's my number six. Black gives way to blue. Awesome. So I I, I guess we're on our last. Two of last of, of, last one of this episode. Yeah, last ones of this episode. So uh, mine's going to be relatively quick, uh, comparatively, mainly to the length of it. So my number five pick, uh, I had to go with Sap. So my oh, num- num- number five. Okay. Cool. So this one here, I've got an absolute zinger of an opening joke. Are you ready? All right, let's do it. This is this is jar of flies underappreciated older brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so fucking funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, th- there is a song on here called Brother. <laughs> called Brother. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, it's I have the CD and vinyl of this. And they both came as a double album with Jar of Flies, yeah. uh, which is why I think it gets kind of lumped in as as the other one. Um, and the material is strong, but it only has five songs, and only four of which are serious. With the fifth, <laughs> with yeah. the fifth hidden track being a kind of jokey thing, where all of the members swapped to other instruments and made this Mr. Bungle on crack kind of thing. But uh I'll I'll get to it. I'll get to that one. So uh coming right out of the right out of the gate, uh what my mouth is talking faster than my brain can process words. Um Brother is a great track, already showing off that despite they put out a an album with a massive metal feel on facelift they can write great acoustic songs and Anne mm-hmm. and Nancy Wilson from Heart appear on this track. That's and just Anne. Is it just Anne, is it? Yeah. Ah, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we cleared she, that she's, up. She's a singer in her own right, even though she's not 
Um, wait, no, which, which one's Ann Wilson? Ann Wilson is the vocalist. Yeah, you're right. Never mind. Yeah. Nancy Wilson is the guitar player. Nancy Wilson did do some, she sung some. She did vocals on Heart. Yeah. Yeah, I I was just. In Heart or whatever. Just, just making, (laughs) just making sure I got my wires crossed here a little bit. But yeah, um, Ann Wilson, who is a fantastic singer, uh, appeared on this track. And uh, Lane would appear on their 1993 record, Desire Walks On. Fun little fact there. Um, I can't remember which song it is. I think it's later in the album, maybe like track seven or something. I'll have to look into it. But um, yeah, then you get Got Me Wrong, uh, which is a great song with an excellent chorus that really elevates it. Um, And it's and it's in a major key, I think, um, in the, the chorus. Well, the, 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 there's a, what do you call it when it's a part that comes after a chorus, but it's repeated? Uh, what is that called? Because if you know that the, cause the chorus is the, as I found out that that's that part. But then the second time it comes around, it goes to that second part that brings it up to a major key. Would that be considered a post-chorus? Cause you get a, <laughs> let's just call it that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a post-chorus. Cool. Uh, yeah, like I say, great song, great post-chorus, great chorus, great verses, great, great everything. <laughs> um, yep. And then we get track three, Right Turn, which has Chris Cornell on uh, guest vocals. Mm-hmm. And that in itself makes me love it. You know, it's a, it's a good song anyway, but having my favorite vocalist, rest in peace, on my on said song is going to win it big points. And uh yeah, we'll have to do Soundgarden at some point. Oh, but, yeah, we will. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in case anybody didn't know, Chris Cornell is my favorite vocalist of all time. And I was gutted when he passed away. But um, yeah, Am I Inside? Easily the darkest sounding track on this EP. Really unsettling at times. And uh, Anne Wilson is quite prominent on this one as well. Um, and then finally, <laughs> you get Love Song which uh isn't on spotify so if you want to hear it and want to support the artist buy the fucking album um but yeah yeah i i I don't know that that's weird that that's not on on spotify okay it could it could have been an oversight because it's a hidden track but uh yeah yeah it it sounds like a mr bungle track that got hijacked by alice in chains um (laughs) it's a it's um they all swapped instruments on this one i i Sean Kinney is on vocals. Uh, I think Lane is on drums. And um, I think Mike Starr is on ba- is on guitar and Jerry is on bass. And one of my favorite lines, if not one of my favorite line in the whole song is, get the fucking midget! <laughs> like, <laughs> no, he says kiss the midget. Does, does he say kiss the midget as well? Yeah, he goes kiss yeah. the midget. The midget like- kiss the midget. <laughs> My favorite part is where I, I don't know for sure because I haven't seen the lyrics printed out, but it sounds like he's going Radon Chong. Radon, Radon Chong. Chong. Radon Chong. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes me laugh that they, they, they go through these four beautifully put together acoustic um, songs. And then all of a sudden at the end, you just get this absolute wall of noise. <laughs> There's just these yeah. four dudes not playing their actual instruments and... I love the uh, boom, da, da, doom, 
thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> just all of the fart noises and stuff they put in. And who is it that's going like I think I think that's Lane doing that. Yeah. Cause I was gonna say Ann Wilson's got a good sense of humor if she put her name to that. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? The mist the mystery of the hidden track. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, what is going on? Because <laughs> I thought, yeah. was is this just some kind of like song that's not meant to be here? But um yeah, yeah it's fucking love it. It's awesome. Um yeah. So that is my that's my number five. So I'm gonna I'm gonna add a little bit to that before I get to my number five because I I feel I feel bad that you didn't get to hear that when it came out because I feel it does it a disservice to have it with Jar of Flies. Yeah. Because I mean, obviously, there were many years that passed between Sap and Jar of Flies, and I there's a I can't. I can't express how we're getting into music now that is ingrained into who I am. Like yeah. it, it, it brings me to a time and a feeling and every track on sap it is to me is so good. The feeling of it is so good and it's so well done. And if, if I remember right, like I don't think I had heard like an all acoustic kind of thing. Well, I guess there's a little bit of electric and, and got me wrong, but the fact that I enjoyed it so much, like I liked it more than facelift at the time. Like I listened to that a lot more than facelift. And so it, it's weird when people seem to think it's a lesser of the two, because I'm like, I don't know. That's because, because, but you didn't get the time with it. And yeah. so I understand that. And that brings us to my number five, which is not sap. It is Jar of Flies. Wow. And so, but just, you know, this is my, my top of the first half of, of, this, of this thing. But we're getting into territory. Like I'm saying, these are songs that are etched into the fabric of my being and albums that are part of who I am. And so... Putting this at number five doesn't say anything for the quality of this EP. Yeah. It is amazing. And the first four tracks on here, going from Rotten Apple to Nutshell to I Stay Away to No Excuses, it is, there is, it's so perfect. Yeah. Every song is so well done and so well performed. And the songwriting is amazing. And this was the first, uh, I read that it was the first EP that ever went number one on the charts, at least here in America. Yeah. Which um, was a pretty big deal. Fun fact, I think the first uh, EP to go platinum was Ugly Kid Joe, wasn't it? Um, as ugly yeah, as I, believe, I believe so, yeah. 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 So, um, and and this was, the, I th- this was the first recording with Mike Inez on bass, I believe. Yes. Um. Because he didn't play on the last Action Hero songs, which we which we should talk about maybe on the next episode. But yeah, um, so that so this is like we were talking about. So that so when when you're comparing Sap and Jar of Flies, they were doing this thing where it almost seemed like a pattern. They put out a heavy album and then an acoustic EP, a heavy album and then an acoustic EP, and then back to heavy. And 
the reason why this one isn't as high up as SAP is because I, as good as this is, I already knew they could do this. Yeah. Facelift was something that you didn't expect when you heard it. Sap was something you didn't expect. Dirt was something you didn't expect. This was something that I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I know they can do this. And then they go to another album, uh, the Tripod album, which is, once again, something you didn't expect. So this one, as good as it is, it's not as memorable to me as Sap because they've already shown that they can do these acoustic melodic, beautiful songs with still their sort of dark Alice in Chains kind of sprinklings on top of them. Yeah. So you could argue that this album technically is better than Sap or EP. Um, and I would accept that. But um, I do feel that starting with number five with Whale and Wasp, it loses some of its steam. It doesn't go out as strong as it comes in. So... Whale and Wasp is just basically a little sh- brief instrumental. Don't Follow is, it's a good song, but it doesn't have the same qualities that the first four do. And then Swing on This is another kind of, kind of fun, weird track. But I just feel like it does, it starts off so strong with those first four that it's a little bit lopsided to me. But once again, that's like we say often on these episodes, this is, nitpicking to put things in some kind of an order because I love this EP. Yeah. And when, when you're talking about the top five of a nine album run, you know, we're, we're in the good quality. We're in the, well, especially considering that, you know, the bottom three were good, you know, uh, damn good at that. So, we're talking about an incredibly excellent catalog of material here. Um, Although I will chime in and say, I do love uh, side B of uh, jar of flies. What would, what would side B be? I I, I have the vinyl too, but how is it split up? Is no excuses. The first song on side B. I, I don't know. Actually, I've got the, I've got the record here somewhere. Cause I, I think I've got the same one that you have the double, one of the two sap and jar of flies. Oh, it's too far away. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My whole setup was going to fall apart there. <laughs> That's all right. But so, but it, but it really does. Um, I just don't, I, I, I don't know. It's just one of those things where if I'm putting songs next to each other, like if you take don't follow and put it next to any of the first four tracks, it's nowhere near as good. So it, I'd, I'd say it's more it stripped back a little bit. To, to, to me yeah but also it does it it doesn't sound as alice and chainsy yeah true so um i think that's part of it but that i feel i feel any negative thing i say about this is really dumb <laughs> it's just it's just so good this was like like you know how some music takes you back to a specific thing yeah i like i put i listened to jar of flies and I'm all of a sudden sitting in the hallway in my high school with my Walkman on, yeah, listening to this, waiting for because I, you know, I showed up early for school, waiting for friends to get there, or whatever. But I just have that feeling of sitting and listening to this over and over again because I I absolutely loved it when it came out. So it was nine. So this was ninety four. So this would have been my junior year of high school, I believe, when this came out. Yeah. No. 
No, I would have been a sophomore. It was January of 1994. Um, yeah, so, um, so I was a sophomore in high school, and it just, there's something to be said about, because some of this music, like, you know, we did the two-part, the three-parter on Judas Priest. Yeah. I, I don't have the luxury of having that kind of experience with any Judas Priest album. So that's yeah. why I, th- I think I said on the, on the, uh, the last episode of that, like my opinion is meaningless to somebody who, who finds this music very important to their life. Same thing goes for somebody who comes up and wants to say that, you know, Allison James just wasn't very good. You know, my, my initial reaction is you clearly know fuck all about music and you need to <laughs> yeah. fucking kill yourself. <laughs> but, but I know that that's me. That's a knee jerk reaction and that's yeah. not correct because they don't have that experience with the music that I have. Yeah. And so there's a part of me that goes, I feel very sorry for those people Yeah, because, but they probably feel very sorry for me because I wasn't in high school when British steel came out or whatever, you know? That's the so, thing is, is, as well, like people always turn around and try and say, um, you know, grunge killed metal. Like to, mm-hmm. to me personally, there's a lot of metal to be found in grunge. Like, yeah, but not, not only that people, my age in high school, like me and my friends were listening to this and morbid angel. Yeah. Like there was we didn't hear grunge and go, we can't listen to metal anymore. That was the record industry's bullshit. Yeah. And, and MTV. And I don't know if MTV necessarily was to blame or they just took a cue from the record companies and the record companies decided that, well, this is the shit that's selling. We need to make sure that everyone thinks this other shit's not cool. Yeah. But to, to the actual youth of that time period, we didn't care. Yeah. Like some, especially me, like something came out that was really good. I don't care what genre it was in. If it did something for me, I was going to listen to it. So I think that I get why people say that it killed metal, but but you are right, especially with Alice in Chains and some Soundgarden. There's definite metal even, in even, the music. Even bands like, you know, lesser lesser known grunge bands like, you know, um, what are they called Skin Yard and and Grunge Truck and, and Tad Tad yeah you know there's yeah. a lot of grunge that's very heavy hell yeah the best grunge to me is very heavy yeah for sure um, I know as well you you got to think Melvins while they might not be just a a grunge band they're they're more known as a sludge metal kind of thing. But they were hugely influential on grunge. Black Sabbath. I feel, I was feel a like huge... a lot of their shit is grunge. Yeah, because because there's there's so much music that comes out, especially nowadays, that's that's referred to as grunge, and yeah. some of it sounds like the Melvins to me. And if if you're making that distinction, then the Melvins is a grunge band that yeah. just has metal metal influences. I mean, that's the best. I don't know. That's I love that shit. Yeah, and that's the thing, especially. You you got to think you know don't just do what you know the the this this is a direct message to the listener now don't do what <laughs> popular opinion tells you to fucking do listen to your own ears these things can coexist you can you can like fucking Madonna and still like Morbid Angel you know yeah 
it's, I, it's, I, and I do, I do think because I, I did one of my porch videos a couple months back, and somebody asked me like for advice on new metal fans, and like the one thing I said was, don't listen to just one person tell you about the music, yeah, because it's it's nobody is right about it. It's all a personal experience, and I, I and podcasts like ours, I think they play two important roles. Number one, people who just love listening to people talk about music that they love or just music in general, there's that that you get. But at the same time, if there are people that are listening to this who don't know a lot about Alice in Chains, I want this to be what is the springboard that makes them go listen and make up their own fucking mind. I don't want them to write down our lists and go, well, we have to listen to this one first because they said it was number one. No, fuck that. Just, Just... you know, listen to the words that we say and the words that that connect with you. Go go there and see how you feel. And, exactly. And because it's it's just one of those things where it, once you're trying to make all these goddamn rules about everything, then all of a sudden you you're taking all of the passion and the fun out of music, especially music like this, and you're making it into a fucking homework assignment or something. Yeah. It's and it's not about that. It's 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 even even the most technical of commentaries about music. I find it very fascinating, but it's not going to change my mind about something for sure. You know, it, it may make me see something in a different way, but it's definitely not going to change how I feel. And maybe that's what people have left behind the feeling part of it. Yeah. Like, like don't, don't think so much. And the, the, the beauty of music and having friends that are music fans is the ability to discuss your, varying opinions on different things, which is what this whole podcast is based on. And the idea that it should be like a fucking homework assignment, like you said, if everybody listened to the same shit, exactly the same shit, world will be boring as hell. Like, (laughs) like if everybody like came together and everyone agreed, this is the definitive list that everyone has to follow. Yeah. It would be, it would suck. It would be shit because everyone would start feeling bad about liking the lower albums and forcing themselves to listen to the ones at the top. Yeah. And I, it's, yeah. I think it's had the opposite effect on me now. Like, like just bringing in a band like Metallica. Yeah. I would rather listen to an hour long podcast where somebody talks about St. Anger than an hour long podcast about Master of Puppets. 100%. It's way more fascinating to me. To yeah. hear opinions and viewpoints and facts and whatever on that album, because it's an album that people want to pull apart and say is complete shit or whatever. Yeah. And and I don't know. Maybe it's because the albums that everybody loves, everyone is always talking about them. But I I just I would rather hear different opinions if they're presented. I feel like we present our opinions in a a thoughtful manner. Yeah. I think and, I think the shame of a lot of things is that people want to hear their opinions coming out of other people's mouths. Oh fuck, that's that is you're you're literally that is <laughs> that is I I mean I'm 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 being uh, uh uh centralized in my opinion here, but that's what's going on in America in the U.S. In my opinion, <laughs> is it so many people just want to hear what they want to hear, yeah, and don't care about anything else and. That in in the metal world, that is definitely a real thing. <laughs> that I I get so bent out of shape about, but 
that's, I guess that's for a different, I don't know what podcast that would be. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, at the end of the day, the beauty of music is that, you know, when it comes to listening to it, it is 100% subjective. You know, that, you know, in, in recording music, there are objective things like, you know, stop cupping the mic and things like that. But like, <laughs> like when it comes to objective things um, in listening to music, they don't exist. You, you, the beauty of music is that it allows you to make your own mind up. It, it, you're not forced to listen to anything. You just go out there, you find what you like, and if you like it, great. If you don't, don't listen to it. But yeah, um, yeah that's the that's also, the thing. Also, the uh, something that that makes me kind of sad about talking about things like this is uh, so when we're talking about what I was saying about being there when an album came out and having that connection to it and that history with it. Um, eventually, those people are not going to exist anymore. Yeah. And there's no longer going to be that kind of appreciation for this music. And I know we've said it before, eventually, you know, hundreds of years down the line, nobody will remember any of this shit anyway. But it's just, it, it makes me a little bit sad that, you know, a generation will die and all of a sudden sap will always be second best to jar of flies <laughs> because, <laughs> because there's no, there's no context anymore. Yeah. It's, it's just a list of albums. And so I would hope in a perfect world, um, um, I mean, I, I don't know how that would work, but in a perfect world, YouTube stays a thing forever and ever and ever. Amen. <laughs> and, and our, our videos stay out there. And yeah, you know, 50 years from now, kids are just like, what is this? And just, you know, hopefully hearing these, these kind of experiences and views on this music, because <laughs> if, if, if not that, then why the fuck are we doing this? It's like, <laughs> kid, it's like, imagine kids like, um, centuries from now dressed up like people from back to the future too, going, that Oh, <laughs> oh, Hey, I want to get into the ancient art of grunge. Like <laughs> that's, but that's what it's going to be. Yeah. And so it's fascinating to me, but we're, we're, we're moving far off from what we were doing. Oh, we were done though. Right. Huh? That yeah. was our, that was our number fives. That was, it was indeed. Wow. So yeah, the, that, that is, that is our, our first half of the Alice in Chains discography. And I'm, I'm glad we broke it up into two because it's, it, I feel like these conversations are uh, important. Hell yeah. And the next one clearly is going to be us for an hour and a half plus gushing all over four <laughs> you, releases from Alice in Chains. <laughs> I'd, I'd say I'd say at least two hours the next one is going to yeah. be. Yeah. If, if for those of you who listen to both parts of the Faith No More one, I think this is going to be similar to the second part of <laughs> yeah. Faith No More where we just... Yeah. It's just us talking about how great albums are. But that's fine. We we need we need to do that every once in a while. Totally. Got okay, on. so you, do you have anything to add for uh, for us to wrap up here? I'm just so psyched to talk about the my top 4 next next yeah. time. I'm looking at my notes shit, and thinking Shit, you hear, heard how excited I was talking about Tripod and I haven't even gotten to that yet. <laughs> yeah, like that <laughs> that's like, the thing. I had to restrain myself a little bit. <laughs> I'm 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 really holding out on the hope that we have another one of those uh, moments where we line up with our last two. Because I think that I th 
we might. Yeah. We very well might. But um but that you all will find that out next time on the exciting conclusion of the Allison Chains ranking. Hell yeah. And um so yeah. So thank you very much for for listening once again. It's I can't even I can't even stress how how great it is to know that people are listening and to, to get the feedback yeah um on these things because I read all um, the comments. I I come over here and I and I read through all of them. Yeah, it's it's one of those um rewarding aspects of doing this because yeah. it's nice to have these conversations, but it's even nicer to know that we're connecting with other people out there. And so thank you very much for listening. If you're listening on a podcast platform or on YouTube, um yeah. Keep keep on keeping on, people. And um, we will see you all again next time for the conclusion of Alice in Chains. And Mr. Eddie Sparks, take us out. Later, dude.